letter to these early Hebrew Christians. And we come this morning to Hebrews chapter 11 as we will finish this morning this great hall of faith. So our text will be verses 29 to 40 of chapter 11. If you are able and willing, as is our custom, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, would you now take your word and meet it with your spirit in our hearts, mold us, make us into the men, women, and children that you've called us to be. Would the name of the living Christ be exalted. May our hearts be encouraged. May our faith be, may our faith be strengthened. And may you be honored. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's been well over 20 years ago that I was in seminary and then stood for my ordination exams and all those types of things. But I remember that time of my life quite well. And I remember well being asked questions like, where do you find the story of Rahab and the spies? And of course, you were supposed to respond really quickly, Joshua chapter 2. And then you were asked a question like, where do you find the story of the Exodus? I really liked that one. Exodus had it. More specifically, however, they wanted verses 7 to 14, or chapters 7 to 14. Where do you find the story of David and Goliath? 1 Samuel chapter 17. The story of the fall of Jericho. Joshua chapter 6. Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6. Over and over and over again. Stories. Wonderful stories. You see, not only has God communicated to us through propositional truth, not only has He communicated to us through doctrine, but He's communicated to us through stories. In fact, it's one of the primary means God uses to reveal His truth to us. And so while it is great 
to know where to find those wonderful stories in the scripture, all the more important it is to know the stories themselves. Who are they about? What do they teach us about ourselves? What do they teach us about the Almighty God? For after all, 20 to 30 years later, I may forget exactly where to find those things. But I remember the stories. I remember the God in those stories. And it's there, isn't it? In those stories that we can know the God behind them. And we can know how to live as his creatures. In fact, the third question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism kind of sums this up. It says, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. We can know God by these stories. And the author of Hebrews here in chapter 11, he's, he's used these Old Testament stories to teach us about God and to teach us about his people. To teach us about the faithfulness of God and the faith of his people. And here at the end of this great Hall of Faith chapter, we're now reminded of even several more stories. Where the people of God trusted in the God of promise and they were not disappointed. Some tortured Mocked, flogged, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed by the sword, and yet not disappointed. And I, I can't help, as I read this, to think of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that really could sum up the end of chapter 11 of Hebrews. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Stories of struggle and persecution, stories of suffering, even of death, and yet stories of ultimate victory in the Lord. And, and this is really a wonderful passage of Scripture, a beautiful picture of great faith demonstrated, yes, by the people of God, but faith demonstrated in an even greater God. That's my hope this morning, is that we would see our great God who is worthy of our trust. And we're going to look at this faith in, in four ways. We're going to look at this passage in four ways. Ways One as a corporate faith, one as a conquering faith, then a continuing faith, and then finally a commended faith. And let's look first, first then to a corporate faith. And we, up to this point in Hebrews chapter 11, 
We've been introduced to individuals who have exercised great faith in their covenant-keeping God. In fact, we'd ended with Moses, you'll remember. Moses leaving Egypt, who considered the reproach of Christ greater than all the riches offered by Egypt. And then uh, him keeping the Passover in obedience to the commands of the Lord, showing great faith in the promises of God. But here in verse 29, we see just a bit of a shift, really. And, and we will return again, once again, to individuals but in a few short verses. But, but now the emphasis shifts to a corporate faith, a faith that is demonstrated and exercised by the people of God as a whole and not just an individual. And uh, verse 29 says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. I mean, what an appropriate reminder as an encouragement to trust the living God. And remember these early Christian uh, Hebrew Christians, and, and I've said this almost every week, to, to try to keep this before our eyes about what this, what this book really is about. Is it an encouragement for these Hebrew Christians and for us to look to Christ and for the early Hebrew Christians to not turn their back on Christ, not to turn away from Christ, and, and, and to turn back to that old system in which they had trusted, to turn back to Judaism even, as it were. And in fact, Judaism properly understood would have ended in Christ Jesus, would have been fulfilled in Him. This is part of the, the passion of the, of the author of Hebrews. If you really want to practice the faith of your fathers, then what? then believe in the Lord Jesus. That's his hope. That's his passion for them. Don't turn away from Christ because this is he in whom your fathers trusted. And salvation is found nowhere else. Salvation is found in no one else. And, and this verse here is actually reminiscent of Noah's faith that, that we'd learned about back in verse 7 where it says, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So there was salvation for Noah and his family, but the alternative, while there's salvation there in the Lord, in the ark, but the alternative for, for those without faith, it was condemnation. It was destruction. And we have the same thing here, not with just Noah and his family, but we have the same thing here with the people of God corporately. Faith in the saving promises of God. The people of God receive redemption and rescue, but those outside of the people of God receive destruction. And that's, what, that's what's pictured here. God is a God of salvation. He is the God of salvation. That's why Moses records those words that were read for us in Exodus 15. And that song of the Lord, I will sing to the Lord for he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And you remember the story too, don't you? You may not know exactly where it's found in, in Exodus, but you do remember the story. If you grew up in a home that had the faith once for all passed down to the saints, passed down to generation after generation. Again, this is the importance of knowing our Bible st uh, stories. And by the way, I think sometimes it's interesting watching the church and different things that the church emphasizes and different things we want to not just emphasize but also criticize. Brothers and sisters, Bible stories are important. Properly understood Bible stories that show our saving, redeeming God that then point to 
the fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be reading these to the next generation. So you know the story. It wasn't that every single Israelite never doubted what was going to happen. It's not as if all the Israelites together had come up to the, to the side of the Red Sea and they're like, it's all right, don't worry about it. God's going to intervene, He's going to save us. No, that, that wasn't the case. In fact, you'll remember that as the Egyptians were in pursuit and Israel turned and saw them in that pursuit at their rear in the Red Sea in front of them, they cried out, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us away to die in the wilderness? They cry out to the Lord, why have you done or, or what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? I mean, think about it. How many of us might have responded that way? God, why have you done this to me? Not, God, why have you done this for me? Why have you done this to me? This was many of those within Israel. They needed encouragement. They needed a leader. They needed a prophet who would prod them to trust in the Lord. And this is exactly what Moses did, isn't it? He said, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't it remarkable what he says to them? And, and this reminds me of Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in trouble. And, and in that particular psalm, it's a picture of calamity all around the earth is giving way. The mountains are falling into the sea. Nations are raging. Kingdoms are tottering. And yet God says to the psalmist, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. Look, I know what's going on out there. I've ordained whatsoever comes to pass. Do you think I'm surprised? Be still and know that I'm God. Think about the Israelites. The mighty Egyptians barreling up behind them. I mean, we get their doubt, don't we? We understand their fear. Egyptians barreling up behind them. They're literally walled in. They have no place to go. The sea is in front of them. It's hopeless. They think they're helpless. And I just love this picture because it is there where God says, through Moses, I will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. And so what happens? Well, we know what happens. The Lord parts the Red Sea. Israel marches through, and that's not just it. It's not just that God saved his people. But then, God destroyed their enemies. Way to go, God. Way to go. Way to defend your people. It says the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. It is God who saves his people. And it is God who brings destruction on those who are not his people. It's all about him. And we see the same thing, don't we, in verse 30? 
where it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. Again, another familiar story, I would hope. And, and what took place here also was, took place by faith. The people of God respond by faith to the commands of God. And, and remember the command that was given, walk around the city once each day for six days and then on the seventh walk around it seven times and have the priests blow their trumpets. What are you talking about, God? You're going to destroy a city by us walking around it and then blowing trumpets? Are you sure this is a good idea? Because I've seen Jericho. I've seen the walls. And God, I don't think that's going to work. I wonder how many of us would have responded like that. The great city of Jericho felled by blowing horns. But you see, that's the very point, isn't it? It's the same thing with the crossing of the Red Sea. It just seemed impossible. Israel was without hope. It was beyond the ability of the people to do something for themselves. And then God does it. God asks them to put their trust in him and he never disappoints. God wants his people to know that he's the one who saves. God wants his people to know that he's the only one who saves. And then in verse 31, and we, we move back here to the individual here in verse 31, but I left it in this division of corporate faith because I think it fits there because one, it, it belongs with the story of Jericho, but two, because it's actually the faith of Rahab that unites her with the corporate people of God. So she becomes part of the corporate people of God. She receives salvation and rescue, whereas had she not responded in faith, she would have been part of those who are destroyed. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab didn't perish because she believed in the God of Israel. She, by faith, was saved and was brought into the family of God. She, she had said to the spies uh, when they were sent by Joshua, she said, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And then she goes on to say, she says, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. I mean, what a... What a profession by an Amorite in the land of Canaan, which is, I, the Lord your God, he's the God of heavens, and he's the God of heavens above and earth below. All this belongs to him. I believe in him. I mean, what a profession. Think about the encouragement that would have been to these early Hebrew Christians. The author is calling them to a faith, or calling them to faith, and as an example for them, he holds up this Amorite, a woman, no less. And in that culture, that was a big deal. And not just a woman either, but we read about her, a prostitute. And she's held up as this example of faithfulness. Why? And we may say, well, goodness, all she did was believe in the one true God and his promise that and that promise wasn't even given to her originally and she believed 
You're right. You're right. That's just it. She was faithful because she believed. By faith. Over and over and over and over again throughout not just this section, but this entire chapter 11. And because of that, she becomes an heir of the promise. Grafted in, as it were, to the people of God. God saves his people. Believe that. I mean, you have all the evidence. And this is, this is part of his argument, isn't it? You've got all the evidence you need to trust in him. And so not only do we see a corporate faith, but we also see a conquering faith. And I love how the author puts it here because this is exactly what he says. It's almost as if he's saying um, to these early Christian Hebrews, he's, Hebrew Christians, it's as if he's saying, look, how, how much more do you need? Do I need to go on? If you need more, I can because there's tons of it. But I'd run out of time to tell you all of it. He says, for what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. There's so much we could look at. And it would take us hours on end to talk about all the ways that God has been faithful to his people and has saved his people. Gideon and the Midianites that he, that, he, that he brings up here. What an interesting story because it's there that God had actually said to Gideon. He said, Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, Midian, there are too many people you've got right now. And if, and if you go against Midian... Or if you, yeah, if you go against the Midianites and you conquer them, then what all these people are going to think is that they did it. I don't want them thinking they did it because I don't want them to have the glory. I want the glory because I'm the God who saves his people. So he says, 300 men, that's it. 300 men go in and take them out. And he did it. He did it. David, who struck down his 10,000s, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel in the lion's den. Again, all these wonderful stories of faith, yes, but of the power of the God in whom that faith is placed. Because behind all of these stories is the God who says, be still. Be still. That, that's the point. What lies behind all of these feats, behind all of these deliverances, all these conquerings, all these victories, is not that they attained them on their own or even that they deserved it, but that God did them all. God did them all. They're commended for their faith because they trusted in the Lord. They put their trust and their faith in him, not in their own strength. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember what they had said? They said, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us, O king. But then listen to what they say. Then they say, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image 
that you have set up. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, tr they trusted the Lord. They trusted that he was able to save them from this furnace. But they didn't know if he would. He knew that, they knew that he could, but they didn't know that he would. And so if he didn't, they'd still trust him. They would still trust him. Because even if it meant that they burned in the fire, they still had a promise that belonged to them. Something beyond death. Their trust wasn't in themselves. It wasn't in their own ability. This may sound a little strange. It wasn't even, they didn't even really put their trust in their, in their own ability to trust him. I think we sometimes struggle with that. We talked a little bit about that in distinctives class. Do we trust the Lord? Yeah, I would love to say, yes, I trust the Lord. Do you always trust the Lord? No, I don't always trust the Lord. Do you trust that you trust the Lord? Oh, I don't think so. Not all the time. Not there. My only hope is the Lord. That's it. It's not even in my faith. It's not even in the amount of faith or the strength of my faith. It's only in the Lord. And if not for the Lord, I'm lost and I'm a mess. It's only Him. Psalm 146 says, Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there's no salvation. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God. It's in him that we have hope. It's in him that we have strength. It's, it is, as the scripture teaches us in Jesus, that we are more than conquerors in Christ. And those that the author of Hebrews gives us as these examples they also show us an enduring faith or a continuing faith. In the midst of trial and suffering, they, they kept the faith. Verses 35 38, it says this. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. And I know we read that and we say, well, when did all of these things happen? Who was sawn in two? Uh, Jewish history. Um, it's, we don't know this from the scriptures, but Jewish, Jewish history has that it was Isaiah who was sawn in two. We don't know that for sure, but that's, that's what um, we think. But it goes on and says, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All, all of this by faith. How did they do this? How did they endure this? By faith, by trusting in the promises of God. The author of Hebrews is telling these, these early Christians and us, and us. He's saying, look, I'm not saying that tribulation won't come. I'm not saying that you won't be mistreated. I'm not saying that you won't be persecuted. I'm not saying that you won't lose your job or your status or even maybe killed. I'm not saying that that won't happen. But I am saying that you can endure by faith because of the one in whom your faith is placed. Those who have gone before you have endured by faith, trusting in the promises of God. I have a really bad habit of reading church marquees and making fun of them. I shouldn't do that, I know. 
but sometimes I do. I was driving around in Fayetteville, and, I, and this has been some time ago, and saw a church marquee, and it said, God believes in you. And I thought, hmm, that's, that's, that's not placed in a very good person. Because if God believes in me, and that's a hope somewhere there, he's going to be really let down. You see, this is not what this scripture, this is not teaching us that God believes in us. It's not teaching us that God believes in the power of the individual. What this is teaching us is that we, we are called to believe in the power of God because he's worthy of that trust. He's worthy of that trust. We have here over and over and over again examples of individuals and the corporate church who believe not in the power of the individual, but they believe in the power of God for them. That's where our eyes need to be. That's where our heart needs to be. Notice verse 38, and I love this part, of whom the world was not worthy. Here's the irony. Here's the irony. The world mocked these people for their faith, persecuted them, as if they were not worthy of this world. I mean, think about today, how those of the faith are often mocked and scorned, maybe called foolish and simple. But it's not that they are, uh, or that, it's not that they are not worthy of the world. But what this text is teaching us is that the world is not worthy of them. Uh, Richard Phillips says it this way, and he says it wonderfully. He's a commentator, and he writes it on this. Writes on this verse. He says they were thought unfit by the world because of their faith in God. When in reality, this world, because of its unbelief, was not a fit place for them. This is exactly why God says, or, or why God says in eleven sixteen, um, in His Word. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Isn't it interesting? We often try so hard to live in such a way that the world will accept us. We often try so hard to fit in, to get the world to like us as if we are somehow unworthy of them. You kids, particularly you young teens, or those who are about to be teens, teens, you really need to hear this. As part of God's people, it is not that you are unfit for the world. It is that the world is unfit for you. Do not believe the lie. Do not believe that you somehow have to conform to this world because your call is to be conformed unto Christ conformed unto Christ and not to the world around us. It is unfit for you because of who you are in Christ Jesus. So God's people continue in their faith and they're looking toward the reward and they're commended for that. And that leads us to our last division, doesn't it? And all these, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. And what is it that's better for us? That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. 
Brothers and sisters, if there were ever a statement pointing to the unity of the people of God in Christ Jesus, those before Christ and after, this is one of them. All of these folks, though they were commended for their faith, none of them received what was promised. And we may say, well, I understand Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham didn't. And okay, Moses didn't get to either. But these others, we might want to argue, what about them? They entered the land. They received this promise. Not according to the author of Hebrews. Yeah, they received the promised land. But they only received a shadow of the reality. It was only a type of that which was to come in and through and because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, one of the key words of Hebrews is just better. A better priest. A better priesthood. A better sacrifice. A better covenant. And a better city. All of these things push us to the Lord Jesus. And to the betterness of the new covenant. Because apart from Christ... And, therefore, apart from the early Hebrew Christians and apart from us, they would not be made perfect. They will be made perfect in the same way that we are along with us through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator of this new covenant. This, I hope, is so exciting. Because as we read those Old Testament stories, we might wonder, I wonder what it would be like to have a conversation with David or with Shadrach, or with Meshach and Abednego. I wonder what that would be like. It's, it's going to be like a, one of the neatest, coolest, and funnest family reunions of all time. Except there's no going to be any, I sure hope I don't see Chris here because he's weird. Because that Chris will have been made perfect. And so will you. We will all be made perfect. And it's one where everyone, the saints of old together with those of today, will be made perfect in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Together, all the saints of God, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, David, Abraham, Moses, us, Peter, Paul, Matthew, James, us, all of us, together, one people God in Christ Jesus. So, what's the call? The call then is persevere. Persevere by faith, not by your own strength. Look to the Lord, trust in His promises, endure, endure, but for a little while. Because the reward is great. The reward is great. Let me just end with reading this quickly from the Apostle Paul. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ.